to Trek Companion. This is episode 202. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing Voyager's third season episodes, The Swarm, False Prophets, and Remember. Here we go. Swarm, season three, episode four, production code 149, original air date, September 25th, 1996, directed by Alexander Singer, written by Mike Sussman, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Carol Davis as Giuseppina Pintangeli and Stephen Huska as Chartis. Trying to get through a hostile region of space, Voyager is attacked by swarms of tiny spaceships, which attach themselves to Voyager's hull. Meanwhile, the Doctor is losing his memory, and Taurus activates the Jupiter Station Diagnostic Program, run by a familiar hologram. I believe Lieutenant Torres should start the reinitialization process immediately. No. Wait. Wait, please. We can't just treat the Doctor like he's a computer anymore. He's come too far for that. Doctor, please, think about this. You'd be losing so much. All the relationships you've developed, our friendship. The Swarm. Boy, this is weird. This I can't think of another episode where I kind of feel like if the if it had a different title, I would like it more. Because <laughs> right? it feels like the Doctor's story should be the A-line, but that's just not the kind of thing that the Star Trek writers want to make the A story. You know what I mean? That story. But it sure feels like it. It sure seems like... The, the most interesting, unique thing is the thing that feels like they spend the most time on. Um, it th- feels like the thing that bookends everything else. Um, yet it seems like they want it to be the, the B story because they called it the swarm. I don't know that maybe this sounds like a weird thing to comment on, but like if it had, you know, a different name about, and it had something to do with the doctor and the swarm felt like the B story, I think I would actually appreciate it more in a way. I don't know. That's weird. But uh, Steve, what are your first thoughts here? Um, yeah, um, I, I agree. It's it's odd that um, that 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 stick the the what I guess the B story or what they are intending the B story to be seems a lot more uh, prominent, and at least in terms of the interest that it brings to the episode, at least on my my part. Um, and yeah, I and the, and of course it makes it seem like there's very little to do with each other. You know, it's called the swarm, yet it's this because the title makes me just think, oh yeah, the one with a whole bunch of little ships attaching them and being annoying while they're trying to pass through or something. It's like, oh, then it's this one where with the doctor. So it is it is odd that way. Um, I don't know if they should have how they could have. I guess they could have just given the doctor story a little more time, retitled the episode, and uh, um, somehow tied it together a little better. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Adam, your first thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with either one of you. I mean, the obvious, obviously, the doctor story in this in this episode is is the most interesting aspects of the story. I found the um, the swarm part. I, I guess it was okay, but I don't know. I've kind of had this complaint about Voyager in the past where. It kind of feels like they just kind of rush a storyline. I don't know. It just kind of seemed ridiculous to me that, you know, okay, you first, you had two crew members who were incapacitated by the, these creatures. And then you get all these rumors about this region of space being very hostile and nobody returns. And it just kind of like, they kind of were, it's just, it's almost like a arrogance that emanates from them. Like, well, who cares? We're just going to go through it. And I'm like, it, I don't know. It just seems like they rush, sometimes they rush into things like this and not thinking them through. I know it's, it's just to push the story forward and to kind of have drama, 
But um, in this particular case, I found it kind of like overly arrogant that they thought that they could get through this region of space without having any any problems. So, um, so I get in a way it kind of annoyed me, but I I enjoyed the doctor stuff for sure. Yeah, the the doctor stuff really is. It's it's almost like you don't even remember that it's in this episode, right? Yeah. yeah. But the the doctor with the singing opera and forgetting the words and. You know, it starts to feel, we'll get into that in a minute with what it's about, but it starts to feel like maybe it's trying to be about something with him and memory and you know, Alzheimer's or something. I don't know, but there's nothing remarkable about the swarm part of it. Even when you think maybe it's going to be interesting or it could be interesting, it never gets that way at all to me. I, I mean, I just, I don't care about it. There's nothing unique or memorable about that swarm story but just seeing like kess's relationship with the doctor you know the way she she fights for him that's actually the, my favorite scene probably in the episode is when they briefly consider just you know restarting him or whatever and, and kess really fights for his memories and even though the doctor himself is like you know reboot I, me he's like yeah that's what yeah, you have to do because i need to be able to help the crew she's like well let's just wait a minute she, you know she fights for him um, which is really great. It's there's something really between them, and they they have a real friendship. And you know, even later when she goes into the holodeck and he doesn't seem to remember who she is, you know, she's concerned, but she's not she's not abandoning him or something. You know what I mean? Um, so there's a lot of good relationship stuff in there. Uh, even seeing, I don't think we've seen Doctor Zimmerman before, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, so seeing him and knowing this is the guy that created him, and uh, I think maybe we knew we knew that he that he looked like the doctor, mm-hmm. right? I okay. So. Am I am I mistaken in thinking Zimmerman made, made an appearance in in um, Deep Space Nine, or am I just totally off base? Well, that's right. Yeah, but it might have been after this episode. Yeah. Well, the real Zimmerman, because of course this is a hologram right. of Zimmerman right. technically, but yeah. But yeah, you're right because he has that thing with Lita. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a funny bit in this episode. Do they find you attractive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, getting a, a sense for kind of where the the doctor came from, almost like his parent. You know, uh, also informative about the doctor and his character. And you know, so there's so many great things in that doctor storyline. Uh, you know, if they made this episode today, it would be just the doctor. That other the swarm thing wouldn't even be in the episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it would be a better episode for it. So there's still like, you know, we're, we're like clawing and, and, and dragging ourselves out of the, the old way of, of episodic television. Um, and those remnants when we're on this, the fence here, mm-hmm. like this episode, those remnants kind of can hold things back because we can't analyze this episode without talking about the swarm itself and the swarm and the title and all that stuff. Have we seen much Paris Taurus kind of flirting at the very top? It's kind of some like a bit of a pre. Yeah, a little bit. To... I, only because I remember there was one time when I said something about it's it's neat to see them having yeah. this because we know what's going to happen in a few years. Uh, but here it felt it felt a lot more like natural almost and mm-hmm. and more comfortable and um, more clear that that's what it was, yeah. which was fun. Well, um, how did their relationship come about? Was it just the chemistry between the actors that got and just decided to write it in, or was it just something they wrote in? And I, I kind of got to feel like you know that they, the 
actors, I mean, because they seem to have a good chemistry together. I've always kind of thought that. So maybe it was just kind of a natural fit to kind of put them in a relationship. Yeah, I, I don't recall. Um, yeah, I, I don't guess we'll, specifically know we'll find that out in future we'll get there. episodes. Yeah. What's this episode about? Well, it kind of, I mean, we go into the doctor, it touches on some themes. Okay. You know, so you talked about this scene and I agree that um, it was one of my, the scene I liked the most in the episode where Kess is, is fighting for him, fighting for his individuality, fighting for him as a crew member, a friend and um, somebody that she holds dear. So um, kind of a theme I had about it was, you know, standing up for what you believe in or for people who you care about. Um, um, it's kind of, one of the main themes that I found out, what did you think this Steve? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, we kind of alluded to, it would have been nice if there had more of the episode all tied together neatly, but uh, certainly the, um, the doctor stuff, it, it'll, you know, obviously it makes you think of, you know, caring for the, uh, caring for individuals who are, can't care for themselves any longer and all in the difficulties and challenges surrounding that. And, and the, the the sacrifice of doing it, and basically, um, you know, it, it's you know, the, like Kess is going to bat for him, and he doesn't even know. By the end, he barely knows who she is or knows who he, his self is. Yet she still fights for it. So it's it's a it's a selfless thing to try to this interesting notion of preserving somebody and preserving their integrity and their health, regardless if they can be thankful for it or even understand what's happening. So. You know, I think it's touching on those themes. All right, let's do Six Degrees for the Swarm. Uh, no, this is a bottle episode with no, like, returning cast, guest guest or anything like that. So just generic trivia this time. Adam, you going first or second? Um, I'll go second. Ooh, Steve, okay. what opera is the doctor singing at the beginning? Oh, geez. Um, he does say the name in the episode. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember him saying the name. Uh, see if anything rings a bell. I'm gonna think back on it. Um, it's just not clicking with me. I don't know. Adam, uh, I'm not for sure either. La Boheme. Uh, <laughs> Adam, who composed it? He also says that in the episode. Um, I don't know. Steve, no, don't know. Puccini. Okay. Stumped us. Listen, it's rare that neither of us get a question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, zero to zero. Moving on. False Prophets, Season 3, Episode 5, Production Code 144. Original air date, October 2nd, 1996. Directed by Cliff Bowl. Story by George A. Brozak. Teleplay by Joe Minoski. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Dan Shore as Ardor, Leslie Jordan as Cole, Michael Inson as Bard, and Rob LaBelle as Kafar. <laughs> A wormhole is detected, and it is traced to the Alpha Quadrant. After an investigation, the wormhole is found out to be the Barzan wormhole from an Enterprise mission several years ago. Voyager then discovers the two Ferengi trapped by the wormhole on a nearby planet, pretending to be prophets to the native people. That's seven employees. Eight if you count the infant. How can you shop be failing? You're not paying them, are you? My mother-in-law is ill. My children are very young. Don't tell me none of them are working. Ignorant, loveless fools. Exploitation begins at home. Exploitation begins at home.
False profits. Steve, kick us off on false profits. You know, what's kind of funny about this is that because I was, you know, I, I, I was so into Trek, you know, during kind of its heyday in the 90s and stuff, too, that I'd watched by next gen episodes, I'd watch several times each, you know, whenever they air. And so I was really well versed. And I remember when the premise of Voyager was announced, I thought that they could do this episode because I remembered back on the next gen and the Delta Quadrant. That oh, that's awesome notion. So it was kind of fun when this actually came up, you know, and they actually followed through with it. So that was cool. But, um, you know, so I think there, there's that kind of a Trek geek fun part to this, um, you know, that they're following through with that. Um, otherwise, I don't know that it, this really does a great deal for me. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's the kind of the standard fringy behavior you got you know the crew going down to skies doing that routine and then um it and it doesn't doesn't feel to me like there's a lot at stake a lot you know what i mean i, I get that they say oh we gotta be careful because we can't just zap them out of here because it could affect the how this civilization and how they react but the, the you know the civilization seems to be like two dozen people in a village you get that impression or whatever regardless if it's true or not so um you know, I think there's some fun aspects and, you know, trivial, trivia stuff and all of that, but, um, I don't, I don't think this is so hot, you know, generally speaking this episode. Adam. Um, I, I tend to agree with Steve. It's kind of a goofy episode. I kind of give it a C grade. I think when this episode lost me when, um, the Ferengi convinced Janeway to send them back down to the planet. Cause I just thought it was, I thought it was kind of a weak scene. It wasn't a very good wasn't a very good speech to me and it seems like Janeway is a smart enough person she should have known this beforehand or just discounted it and left him on the ship it just that that scene was kind of my least favorite of the whole episode but overall it's kind of got some funny stuff yeah it's like Steve said it's kind of a typical Ferengi episode you have that kind of goofiness going on um it didn't seem like they put a whole lot of money into this episode because like Steve said it just seems like they're controlling a a little village with about 10 or 20 people in it. It doesn't seem like they control mass populations of any sort, but at the end of it, it's kind of got some funny moments. It's goofy. And yes, it's kind of a cool thing to connect um, the two series, but um, yeah, I think they fell short. I like seeing Neelix play a Ferengi. That's fun. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. He has some experience yeah. with that too. So yes. it's, uh, yeah, feels right. Yeah. He does a pretty good job. As a Frankie, <laughs> um, which is it makes you it makes you think about similarities between I don't know Talaxians and Frankie, <laughs> not not like culturally or something, but just the way they I don't know they're slightly comedic and bouncy and that's that part of it's fun. I think I probably like this episode slightly better than you guys. I mean, yeah, it's got a lot of problems. It's not great or anything. And the, yeah, the main thing holding it back for me is also this. It feels so small. Like maybe it probably would have been a lot better on paper than the actual realization. But you know, it's a purely for fun kind of episode, and with the fun references to the other shows, uh, you know, it's worth it. Uh, it's all. It's all right. I like this episode well enough. Yeah. It's it's so what it what does have a lot of gravity is it like they it seemed like they had a like a legitimate solution ready to go and these two clowns blow it up for them. I mean you know I mean 
we don't see what's going on behind the scenes, but there would be, it seemed like they should have been more angry on the ship. To, yeah. Basically, these guys messed the whole thing up. They, they, had, a, they had a really good answer. It looked like it was going to work right there, you yeah. know? And, yeah. Yeah. She should have just thrown them in the brig immediately yeah. and then yeah. gotten through the wormhole and then figured it out later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Threw them in the brig and had Neelix go down as a Frangie being like, have, they're gone. I mean, if you, if you can simulate being a Ferengi so well, why can't you just give the message or whatever? I don't know. Eh, we're not going to yeah. overanalyze this one. <laughs> There's a busyness to it. I mean, I don't think it was well thrown out. Like you, like, like you said, Brian, I think it was just an episode for kind of fun just to kind of throw the fans, you know, and connect the, connect the dots between the, the two series. But um, it's, it's got some holes in it. But there's some amusing stuff for sure. I mean, what? Are, I mean, you know, if they went there, they can't. They couldn't get through the wormhole, or that would have ended the season, the series. So, I mean, I guess they had to muck it up somehow. Is exploitation begins at home? Is that a rule of acquisition, or is just a nice Frankie saying? <laughs> I'd have to look that up. I wouldn't surprise me if someone's decided it's a, you know, rule of acquisition. I doubt they've they you know they didn't like make them all up through the, all the numbers so they got plenty of spaces to plug in new ones so someone probably decided it is one although they didn't number it or anything. Yeah, I like that one. It made me chuckle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Grand Proxy is also a funny name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Grand Proxy. <laughs> I wonder if that was a real thing or if the Vo- if Voyager made it up. In which case, it's funny that that the two Frankie on the planet bought it. Yeah, yeah. Is this episode about anything? False prophets. Scandally clad bikini girls. Um, let's see what else. Well, I mean, it uh, is a funny title. They must have had that waiting in the wings, right? Right. right. Yeah, it's kind of like whenever like sports figures have names that work in other ways. You know, they just like set all these headlines out and okay, we're ready for that title to move in. You know, whenever they that kind of thing. Um, yeah, they probably had this. Yeah. As far as what it's about, um, gosh, I mean, obviously, you know, we've, we've seen these kind of themes of prime directive and what the in the impact and influence of, you know, one can be on lower uh, like civilizations that aren't as, you know, advanced or whatever, but you know, I don't know that it's, this is doing anything particularly unusual in that way or any kind of deep way. Don't underestimate the Frankie. <laughs> That's all you got. Yeah. All, got. all right. Let's do six degrees for Before, false profits. Brian, Brian, what was it for you since you enjoyed this episode so much? <laughs> enjoyed this episode so much. Just uh, yeah, no, we're doing six degrees. <laughs> um, let's see. The score is zero to zero. I gave Adam the choice last time. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Michael Ensign, you knew I was going to ask about him, right? Mm hmm plays the bard that likes to sing a bit before agreeing on the job. He played Dr. Allrat in Enterprise second season episode Stigma. What species was he? Hmm. Vulcan? Yes, sir. Adam, Dan Shore returns to play the Ferengi, Eridor. He previously played this character in the next-gen episode, The Price. What season was that? It was an early season. I'm going to say season three. You got it. Wow. Look at that. From zero to zero to one to one. Moving on. 
Remember, Season 3, Episode 6, Production Code 148, Original Air Date, October 9th, 1996, Directed by Winrick Colby, Story by Lisa Klink, Teleplay by Brennan Braga and Joe Minoski, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Charles Esten as Dathan, Eugene Roche as Jor Brell, Eve Brenner as Jor Morell slash Corinna Morell, Athena Massey as Jessen, and Bruce Davidson as Jareth. <laughs> Voyager is transporting a telepathic race, the Yanarians, to their homeworld. Chief Engineer Belana Torres begins experiencing intense dreams in which she is a young Yanarian woman named Karina, having a forbidden love affair with an Yanarian youth, the Nathian. The dreams seem real, more like memories, and they become increasingly disturbing and dangerous, forcing Torres to seek answers from the doctor and the Yanarian passengers. My dreams... They are real memories from Jorah Morell. When she, when all of them were younger, there was a group of people they called regressives. They just wanted to lead a different kind of life. But, but they don't exist anymore, do they? You exterminated them. Adam, why don't you start us off on Remember? Remember. So about the first 10 minutes of this episode, I'm kind of thinking, you know, it's kind of wonky. It's kind of goofy, you know. I mean, not that it, that I... I have a problem with Taurus talking about her sex dreams with um, Chicote. Seems um, it was kind of funny, and, and it was kind of fun and funny. Just kind of them, them two kind of having this kind of conver- kind of real life conversation um, about what's kind of going on in their lives, instead of you know just some sort of tech thing. Usually, what we get from um, from Trek. But like I said, like the first ten minutes or so, it kind of the it kind of just seemed kind of loose, loose and wonky. You know, um, didn't seem very tight. But once they kind of got into the story and we, and you know, Taurus kind of figure out, figures out what's going on with her and she's experiencing these, um, these dreams, which actually are memories of, um, what the society did. It got a lot more interesting. Um, and ultimately I, I kind of liked the episode. I kind of thought it had something to say and, um, um, it was kind of an interesting way to say it. Steve? Can can you say remember like Spock says it with McCoy like at the end of Star Trek Two? <laughs> remember, I don't know. Um, yeah, I always like this episode. I mean, I don't. I think it's it's trying to be um, one of these kind of things that's something special, and I think it it does pretty well. I'm it the the trick is that it's kind of in this category of some of these things that try to do something epic kind of like the inner light or you know or something of that nature but it's not quite you know it's it's not up to that kind of standard although it's trying to you know it's trying to do that kind of thing it's obviously got big themes you know this condensing a portion of life into transferring to someone else so they're experiencing it so they can experience it and uh you know obviously uh, this kind of like a holocaust type event you know this awful thing that they you know, basically um you know, mass killings of a, of a group of people. Um, so it's heavy stuff, you know, I don't know that, um, you know, I, I think we may be a little bit ahead of what's going on sometimes in the episode. Um, I don't remember cause I've seen it enough times where I, of course I know what's going on. So I don't remember when I saw it the first time, if I knew, Oh, this is what's happening and so on. But, um, yeah, but overall, I I like it, and I think it's interesting. Um, I don't know what else to say, really. Yeah, I like this episode a lot. I think it's pretty easy to 
peg this one the best episode we're discussing today. It's it's well written. Uh, she does a really great job. Roxanne mm-hmm. uh, does a really fine fine acting job in this episode. It's there are some aspects to it that we've sort of seen before, but um, mostly I think it's I think it's actually pretty unique. Uh, it's, it's more like taking all of these, like a lot of pieces that we've seen before, but putting them together in a really kind of unique way. Mm-hmm. The story flows really well. Uh, one of the things unique about it is like where other episodes feel like maybe they would have ended. Like there are times when it feels like it would have been the end of a full episode and it's only like halfway over. Mm, yeah. I think that's really interesting in that it, it, it gives them somewhere to go and really to redefine the episode and you know because uh, it's not just about these the the story and the flashbacks mm-hmm. you know, it's about dealing with that today right and uh, you're right that it it's kind of shooting for those kind of epicy episodes but that's a heck of a place to aim for even mm-hmm. if you miss it mm-hmm. um, but it's just a, it's just an incredibly well written and executed and performed uh, episode. Yeah, I like it a lot. And I think it kind of you could have done this anywhere during Voyager, uh, but this is a good place for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like something that that could have been later. It's almost like, you know, duet season one DS9, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's 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 just it's just really good. This episode, I almost asked this in trivia, but then I didn't. The story was originally written for Next Gen hmm. for um, for Counselor Troy. Oh, okay, makes okay. sense. Yeah, and then so Lisa Klinked. I don't remember who who came up with the story, but it wasn't Lisa Klink. But she took it for this episode, and kind of repurposed it for Torres and you know I just I I can't imagine it working as well on next gen and maybe that's just because it's so it's just done so well here mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's the reason it's also a fun chance to show Torres kind of let loose and be playful in a way that we normally could never yeah. see her yeah like when she's in the flashbacks and stuff the way she just the way she smiles mm-hmm. yeah you know not to this point at least anyway um, yeah, we were talking real quick. I I think I like the scene, you know, beyond, you know, all the flashbacks. I think I like the scene towards the end of the episode with when um, Taurus is in um, Janeway's ready room. And she's trying to convince the captain, you know, to start an investigation and go down there. And I I um, kind of like the calmness with um, Janeway is when she's, you know, explaining, like, you know, there's not a lot we can do about it. It's not our, you know, and the kind of the prime directive kind of gets involved here and that kind of thing. But I like that she went to engineering and that she encountered somebody who was open to listening to um, to her, you know, letting her see those memories. Because it could have gone either way because the, the girl that um, Kim was, um, you know, kind of dating there, she could have just been like, I don't believe you and, and told her to, to screw up. But I kind of like the way that they went, that she was open to um, listening and, um, and sharing those memories and getting those experiences. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting position it puts the captain in because um you know because the, she could 
be some, there could be something wrong with Torres, right? And this is all just fabrication or she's making it up or something's wrong, you know? And, and so she's take how much trust you put into someone when they make huge act, you know, wild accusations at someone else and when there could be something else at work. And, you know, I think she just kind of walked that line where she was, all right, let's move on from this. She didn't like tell Torres she's nuts and get out of the room, nor did she, um, put the, that whole, you know, race of people on, on the ship into some custody and take them into custody or something either. But it was an interesting position she was in. What's this episode about? Well, a lot of it, you know, it's, you can't, um, you can't hide from your sins or you can't hide from your past. There's those kind of themes in it. Um, you know, um, Steve mentioned it. There's some, there's some Holocaust themes in there, genocide um, themes, um, sins of the past kind of, you know, comes to line, you know, um, a healing genera- the next generation having a chance to heal the past of the, of the previous generation. So it's kind of got a lot of overlying themes uh, about these kind of things is how I found. Yeah, it's 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 complicated as these kind of issues are because the um, uh, you know the, the the people how how much how complicit are people in some great wrong who just know it's happening and don't do anything about it. I mean, you know, this is, you know, in history, we see this time and again, there's obviously some clear examples of it. And, and that's, that's what they're addressing head on here. And, and, and also the, uh, just kind of that in, in a way, this, the, the, you know, the, the woman who dies, who's passing all these memories on because of the abilities of this race, uh, the species, they, uh, she has the, she can, she can, pass this on in a unique way she can speak out you know which doesn't seem like anyone else of her generation will do you know and, and how important that is um so that people people so that the others to so other generations it's you know know the truth and know what can happen you know so it doesn't happen again so yeah it's big big themes here Let's do six degrees for remember. Our score is one to one. Adam, first or second? I'll go first. Eve Brenner plays the elderly Corinna Morrell. Is that... Sounds like Corella DeVille. (laughs) (laughs) In Next Gen's fifth season, she played the Ulian Inad in the episode Violations. In this episode, crew members have hallucinations and Troy even goes into a coma. Why? What causes the hallucinations? Causes the hallucinations? Um, some sort of telepathic field that envelops everybody. I don't know. Uh, Steve, is that is that the one where um that she's essentially being you know? Psychologically or telepathically violated against against her will by a member of that species, or yeah, yep. So I don't think you got that, Adam. Right? No, I mean I just said she was being tele. Well, I said she was being telepathically influenced. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see if Steve gets this one. Steve Charles Eston plays Dathan, the lover that Torres only dreams about. In Next Gen, he played a Klingon in the episode Rightful Heir. What season was that? Rightful Heir. Oh gosh, some of these titles get mixed up. Um, it was a later season. Right. I gave right. Adam, earlier thing. Seven. 
No. Mm. You wanted Adam? <laughs> not not, not a lot of other later season choices. Season six. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just say you guys tied for the day. <laughs> Be diplomatic. All right. So let's see. Folks, you can follow us on uh, Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. I don't think there was anything interesting in the news or in this week. We already talked about a couple of items. So we're just going to call it a little bit earlier today. And thank you for listening to us and spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.